Thanks for joining me today for episode 15 of the Northwest Fish Passage podcast. Northwest Fish Passage is a small strategic collaborative partnership of scientists, planners, and engineers. Today, I am here with Courtney Baxter. She does communications of floodplains by design for the Nature Conservancy. Floodplains by Design is a public-private partnership to, to rethink how we manage our river floodplains and prepare for flooding exasperated by a changing climate. So Courtney and I met a few years ago through one of the Floodplains by Design's workshops. Thank you, Courtney, for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. To start with, I'd love to hear a little about what motivated you to get involved in conservation communication. Yeah, um, man, it's it's kind of like a, a long winding story, but I started off doing um, education at the Phoenix Zoo. I was one of their overnight program instructors um, and I was doing that while getting my undergraduate degree in animal physiology and behavior. <laughs> it wasn't really um, a degree set up for success in communications, but uh, it did give me a foundation for, you know, conservation, habitat restoration, biology, and such like that. Um, and after I started working at the zoo for a little bit, I was like, this is super fun. I love like talking to people about animals. So I uh, got my master's degree in community-based conservation and I moved up to Seattle because it's just an environment mecca. Like everything here is green and everyone here loves the environment. And it was, there's just plenty of jobs. So I started working for the zoo here, started doing the same thing, the overnight education programs. And then slowly over time, I started uh, shifting my work to not just talking to kids, but to talking to a variety of audiences and, and with a variety of topics. So I worked at the Northwest Straits for a little bit with their Catch More Crab program and was teaching people not to lose their crab pots in the sound. And then I transitioned to um, talking to people about Earth Day and how they should volunteer for Earth Day. And then I transitioned to the Nature Conservancy where I got really good at talking about levy setbacks. And uh, on the other side, working on our city's team, talking about green stormwater infrastructure. So it just started off with wanting to talk to kids. And now I talk to everyone. <laughs> That's awesome. So can you tell me a little bit more about the mission and goals of Floodplains by Design as well as your role? Yeah, uh, Floodplains by Design is super cool. And the whole goal of it is multiple benefits and integrated floodplain management, which is kind of jargony, but it just basically means that they're working to reduce flood risk, restore habitat, improve water quality, and support agriculture, which is just supportive of so many different streams of work and lifestyles and needs. So it they try not to leave anyone out of the table and work to support all stakeholders, all partners. It's always been collaboration first and we always stick to the to the three F's, farms, fish, and flood. And with Floodplains by Design, my work that I do with them um, is primarily still communications. Um, so if anyone ever gets the FBD newsletter, I sent that. <laughs> I worked diligently plane. on that. Yeah, the Floodplains by Design newsletter, yeah. that was me. 
And I'm also on the back end of the floodplains by design website, so floodplainsbydesign.org. And um, those are pretty broad strokes, but um, I also work on a lot of very strategic communications. Um, so definitely when session is in, in down in Olympia, I am working with our government relations team, trying to get um, communications to our various legislators to convince them that we need money for these programs because they don't fund themselves, unfortunately. So we are um, making like videos, like very short videos, like getting snippets of um, folks out in the field saying like, this is my project. This is why it rocks. And this is why we need continued funding. And uh, doing something as small as creating like a bookmark that has some like high hitting points and some really solid facts so they can like carry that around and be like, oh yeah, that program sticks in the back of their mind. And we're also communicating to our network. So sometimes we need to create some graphics for a new webinar that we're going to do or a workshop or a training. And so I am working on that, doing um, outreach and connecting with folks in our network. So whatever sort of communication need pops up, I'm usually there to help figure it out. I really like to brainstorm that kind of stuff. That's awesome. Can you tell me more about the different organizations and partnerships that I was working on FBD or floodplains by design. Yeah, there's, there's a lot. We have a lot of um, like engineers that are part of this work. There's a lot of floodplain practitioners, which before coming into this work, I was like, there's people who practice floodplains. Okay. I'm learning. <laughs> I learned a lot before I got, I was like, I had no idea who all these different people were or what all these different things were, or what it meant, or what integrated floodplain management meant. All of these things are just so foreign to me. Um, and we have uh, tribes that we work with. We have farmers that we work with, fish biologists, communicators, people in government. I'm sure I'm missing people, but there's, if, if anyone touches a river in any way, they're, they're part of this network. Because we need everyone. Mm-hmm. That's great. So recently, have you been involved in making sure that we, they got the funding for the next biennial? Yeah, we worked really hard this year. Huge shout out to all of the government relation teams out there that were working on this, especially at the Nature Conservancy. We worked with various legislators. We um, There was a video that I helped create that was like basically a map zooming into the various locations um, around Washington state where we have projects. There's dozens and dozens of projects that have landed on the ground over the last seven years or so, but it was really great to get this year's uh, projects that we were trying to get funded, having those people from those regions. So we had Yakima, there was folks up, um, up in like Bellingham and then folks down in Pierce County and over in the peninsula, over in Ording. We had people everywhere sending in their videos of their projects, of them in their projects, talking about their projects and talking about why these projects are super important to get funded. And we were able to get funding uh, at $50.9 million, which was really great. 
it's spending um, eight of our projects on that list. And so when will the, those projects be uh, coming out and funded? That's a great question. Um, I think, so we still have projects that start, that were started years and years ago that are still moving along that have that funding, but they're still trucking along at their own pace. I'm not exactly sure when these specific projects will have like money in hand, but I know they're all really excited to hit the ground and they, it's anyone's game as to like when they're going to have those projects completed. Um, but I'm not entirely sure about that. So what has been one or two of your favorite communication projects? I know you work on so many different ones. So if you just want to talk about a couple, that'd be yeah. great. Um, I was really proud of the video that we put out for the dairy distiller project that is happening um, up north in Stanwood on, um, on, a, on a farm, just on a dairy farm. Um, and we worked alongside this dairy farmer and with a, an actual rocket scientist <laughs> and with the Stiligwamish tribe. But that was just alongside with the Nature Conservancy. That's just four of, I think, the 25 partners that had their hands in this. The hardest part about this project was tracking down all of the logos <laughs> for the end of the film. <laughs> but it was, it's, it was super cool just to learn more about this machine that will take dairy cow manure and turn it into clean water like that's that's really cool that's really wild and just hearing about all of the partners that came together and partners who traditionally haven't had a good relationship with each other and mm -hmm. coming together against all odds and making this project work and getting the funding for it and bringing the right people to the table and making sure that everything is in place and making this thing work. I just think it's super cool. Like this is a crazy machine that a rocket scientist built and we're putting it on a farm for cows. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. If you can send me uh, the link to the video, I'll make sure yes. to put it in the show notes. Absolutely. It's called Old Cows New Tricks. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. So what are some of the biggest challenges that you've had and successes? Sure. Yeah. I think it's important to share with people not the actual restoration of river restored or the acre of floodplain board, but we also want to hear about the story and the impact of that story over time. Like, what did we learn? What what can we change to make better next time? What um, what were these pain points? Um, and we we just need to make sure more of this work happens. Like, we this is how we get funding is telling these stories of reporting on these these numbers, but telling like talking to legislators and saying that. These are real impacts and there are real people working on the ground doing this. Like we need, we need funding and it's, it's, a, it's challenging. We have to fight for that funding every two years and it's, it's not fun. It's very exhausting. Our GR team deserves so many naps. <laughs> what is but the GR? The government relations team. Oh, sorry. okay. Yeah, they, 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 they just need a lot of rest and a lot of vacation, but it's, it's, it's definitely really challenging. We have to anticipate it way, way in ahead of time that the next 
biennium is coming up and we have to fight for it. And that's just, it's, it's exhausting. So institutionalization is the thing that is kind of like our, our light at the end of the tunnel. Like that's what we are aiming for is not having to constantly fight for this money that is so needed because it's, it's shown year after year after year after year that these, these projects work, that it's doing really, really great work and that it's not going to happen without money, without this funding. I say I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges is just constantly convincing and talking to people to, to give us money. <laughs> yeah. And then you've talked about some of the successes already. Do you want to talk about more of that? Uh yeah. So again, this um this biennium, we we were given $50.9 million from the legislature, mm-hmm. which means that we get to fund, I think, eight projects. Um, so who's to say how many, you know, acres of floodplain will be restored or miles of river, but I know that it's going to be really impactful. We, um, we spend a a long time ranking those projects that come in and every year we get more and more and more, which shows that we have more and more and more need for more and more and more funds to get these projects on the ground, to get them going. But it's been great to see these projects actually hit the ground. We have um, a variety of success stories of various projects that are just like doing great. Like I think um, our Port Susan Bay project up in the Skagit, which is one of, I think it's like the poster child of floodplains by design. Mm -hmm. It's one of of the first projects, but it's still an amazing idea. It's still what we go to when we want to talk about in like the most basic sense, multi-benefits and people coming together to restore an area that really needs it for our salmon and for the cultures that depend on it. Um, And just all around the state there, you'll, you'll see success stories. So like down in Yakima, you'll see folks down there working on incredible projects. You'll see people in Puyallup working on incredible, incredible projects. There's stuff happening up in the Nooksack right now that is just amazing. And seeing it all come together is awesome. Mm-hmm. And do these projects have funding for ongoing monitoring? They do. Yeah. That's one of the things that we, that, um, that we look for in these proposals that come in is, funding for monitoring and including that because it is incredibly important and everyone thinks that it's super boring and it's not as flashy, but we recognize the importance of ongoing monitoring at the sites that get restored because that's how we make sure that the work that we're doing is actually good and that it should continue to get funding because it works. hmm so what is one of the other projects that you are currently working on? Yeah. Um, so right now we are wrapping up a couple of um, workshops. So we had the collaboration campfires that have been really fun and um, mostly operating in a way that is providing uh, like tools and suggestions and whatnot to our, to our network. Right now, it's, it's going to sound a little boring, but I'm updating the website. <laughs> but the, the website hasn't been updated since 2016. And we've realized over the last year that our, the needs of our audience has changed. 
and we want to be able to fulfill those needs. So we are working to make the website less of a, a brochure and more of a resource, of a toolkit, of a place that people can go to get the things that they need to either A, figure out how to do a project themselves, B, how to submit a proposal, like D, like learn, like how, like, what is this program? Like, what, and how is it connected to the Department of Ecology? Like, I don't understand those connections. Like, we want to talk more about that strategic partnership and just to be able to educate folks more, to talk, to help them talk to their legislators, to give them tools to talk to donors, to talk to their audiences. So we want to make sure that they have a really robust selection of resources to kind of help them get this work done because we recognize how important it is. Mm-hmm. So I know that floodplains by design has done a great job of including lots of people. I'm wondering if you have recently been talking more about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah, it's it's been an ongoing conversation and we recognize we're not perfect at it. We've been trying really hard to get more farmers at the table, which is really hard when we want them to show up to a space and they have, you know, their own work to tend to. And we've also been wanting to get more tribes involved, but that's also a a very tricky thing to do. And recognizing flood impacts on various groups of people that are maybe hit a little bit harder than others. And so it's, it's, it's definitely been a conversation that we're having and a challenge, but it's a challenge that we're, we're all facing head on because we recognize the importance of having everyone who is impacted mm-hmm. have a voice and have a strong voice and be heard. Do you have advice to young professionals interested in conservation communication or even oh, older man. people? <laughs> yeah. I guess uh, just like stick with it. But when I say it, that I recognize that I come from a place of privilege. Like I am a white woman and I Frankensteined a lot of part-time temporary jobs together for so many years. And like I was doing that so I can, you know, make ends meet so I could continue to get the experience that I wanted and also pay my bills. But I also knew that if for some reason I failed that I would have a safety net that like mm-hmm. my parents wouldn't let me just flounder out there. And I knew that even though I wasn't actively going to them for like, you know, money all the time, mm-hmm. I knew that I had that. Um, and that is like, I, they, they supported me through college. Like I lived with my dad in college and my mom paid for college. Like I, I, I come with a lot of, with, of priv- privilege, but um we need to recognize and have more conversations about how this field plays to that, plays to those mm-hmm. privileges, and um, that we need to stop doing unpaid internships. Like we need to start paying livable wages. We need to stop having only these options of part-time temporary jobs. Like I'm not. If you talk to other folks like me, you're gonna hear the same thing that all mm-hmm. like they've worked a bunch of part-time temporary jobs and that's just like what you got to do. And that's, that's not how it should be. We should be able to welcome anyone who wants to be in this field without having them to sacrifice any sort of autonomy or safety 
in order to be a part of it. Um, because like we were talking about before, diversity is the only way that we're going to make this world livable and safe for everyone. And we need all of the voices part, a part of this work. Mm-hmm. So this is, I'm throwing it back out to all of these conservation organizations, all these yeah. leads in the world. It's on you, man. Come on. <laughs> it's on all of us. <laughs> it's on all of us. Definitely for sure. But we do have a lot of organizations that are, that are leading this charge that yeah. are these big organizations doing conservation work. And it like, they have the funding to do so. They need to mm-hmm. get going on this. <laughs> Is there anything else you would like to talk about around floodplains by design? Um... I think I, I'll probably just be a broken record and saying that like this work, it's all about the people. It's all about the people. Yeah, there's, it's really important to get those acres of floodplains restored and those miles of rivers and talking about more salmon coming back to their their spawning places but we need to recognize the people who are doing this work and who have been doing this work for so long it's usually these people who have been here for 15 20 years doing this work and we wouldn't be where we are without them mm-hmm. it's, all, it's all about the people <laughs> and what are you most hopeful about in the next five to ten years institutionalization. I know that's such a, a jargony word, but it's it's what we need. Um, we're spending so much of our time and our effort uh, engaging with legislators and hoping, praying that we get the money that we, that we de- so desperately need to get these projects on the ground. But imagine the work that would happen if we didn't have to spend, you know, three, four months longer, six months trying to convince people that this work is worthy. I think that some really great work would come out. So for all the listeners that are interested in getting more involved, can you talk about some of the ways that yeah, we can do that? You can visit the website, floodplainsbydesign.org. Uh, sign up for our newsletter. That's the best way to get um, constant updates. Try to send them out once a month. Um, but yeah, we're since we're updating the website, there's going to be a lot of really cool stories and resources that folks can check out. Great. And I'll make sure to put that all in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I would like to end by expressing my deepest respect and gratitude to the many indigenous peoples and tribal nations in the Salish Sea region for their enduring care and protection of our shared lands and waterways. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this podcast, please tell a friend and make sure to sign up so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Have a great day. Thanks.